Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com or by clicking the Share Your Story tab on the Church Center app. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that by clicking on the giving link located in the description of this video, online at fellowshipgj.com, or if you're a member here at Fellowship Church, you can give through our Church Center app. This will help us continue to bring this message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy today's service. first dating, we had kind of, we're falling in love, we decided to go back to Wisconsin to give him the opportunity to meet my parents. And while we were there, we stayed at our cabin in the North Woods for a long weekend, and it was so fun. This is where I grew up as a kid in the summers running around, and so one day, Lavelle and I decided that we would go take a walk in the woods. These woods were very familiar to me. I Felt like I knew all the paths and everything that would kind of happen. And so we were off in the woods and all of a sudden a bear came. And it was a mama bear with a cub. And then about 10 feet behind them was the other cub. And in that moment, the man that I loved chose to walk towards the bears. He, I think he thought they were soft and cuddly. He wanted to wrestle or snuggle. I don't know. But in his mind, he went towards petting zoo as his thought. I, on the other hand, saw a bear. I thought to myself, this could be a rogue bear from Alaska. This thing might be 10 feet tall. It might go Cujo, but in bear form. And so I wanted to run because I envisioned a chase. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the difference between men and women. Right there, men walk towards danger. Women wisely withdraw from danger. This is why marriage is hard. And so either way, Lavelle didn't actually pet the bear and the bear did not give us chase. So I guess we were both, Lavelle was wrong. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, Saul and David are literally in a chase. In this Bible passage, we see that King Saul is chasing David. And Saul is in a jealous rage. He is afraid that someday David will become the next king and take his throne from him and his son. And so Saul has gathered the army and is literally giving chase to David. And David is running and David is afraid. And David feels betrayed. Saul is actually his father-in-law. He's been working in the courts of this king since he was a teenager. Since right after he killed Goliath, he's been playing harp for Saul, and now Saul wants to kill him. Let's pick up the story, 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 10. It says, So David escaped from Saul and went to King Achish of Gath. David is so afraid that he flees and sneaks into enemy territory, into the nation of the Philistines, their enemies, into the hometown of Goliath, who he slay as a teenager with a slingshot and a borrowed sword. And he goes in there and he thinks he can hide 
amongst his enemies. I don't know. He's walking down the street. Maybe he's whistling to himself, feeling really proud, thinking Saul will never cross the border into Philistine and pick a war with our enemies, so I'm going to be safe here in Gath. I'm not sure, but suddenly the officers of the army of Gath recognize David, and they grab hold of David, and so now David has two kings after him for his life, two kings going to kill him, Saul and Achish, and David is in worse shape than when he began. And the reason is he took his hurt and he took his pain into the enemy's hometown. And how often do we do that? We take our hurt and our pain and our disappointment and, and we end up turning to the world instead of turning to God. We turn to the world to numb us or to help us escape. We turn to Netflix to escape or social media. We escape with overworking or overeating. We escape with relationships or to addiction. We numb and we try to hide in the world system. But God's children will never find solace in the enemy's cities. So if we're on this path to learn to trust in God, and this morning is summer of trust in our series. We're saying that we want to learn to trust God. We cannot just run to the enemy's camp. We have to turn to God. So four steps this morning to build trust with God. Number one, take your hurt, your disappointment, and your frustration to God, not to the world. When we're in a tough spot, when we're broken or hurting, it's comfortable, it's popular, it's convenient to just go somewhere easy for comfort. But God wants us to turn to him, to spend time with him, reading the Bible, worshiping and lifting up our hearts to him, or just pouring out the details of the situation to him in prayer. One night recently, I was just maxed out. I was done. The, the stress and the frustration of the day were just kind of weighing on me at night. And then my whole family had gone to sleep, but I knew that I would not sleep yet. I knew that I, my mind was racing and I just, I wouldn't relax. And so I had a choice in that moment. Where am I going to go for comfort? Where am I going to turn? Am I going to go into the refrigerator and open it up and get myself a big old bowl of ice cream? Am I going to go in that little cabinet above the refrigerator and pour something stronger? Am I going to go to the TV or to my phone and scroll? So after I wasted about an hour watching pointless medical dramas on my phone, um, I realized I wasn't any more comforted. I wasn't any more unburdened from my day. And so I switched that off, and I got on Spotify, and I put on some worship music, and I pressed into God. And that's where my comfort came from. But this is not what David does. David does the opposite. He finds himself running to his enemies to seek healing or wholeness or at least sanctuary. And now David has a problem. He doesn't turn to God. He turns to Gath to hide. And of all the places on the planet to go and hide, why would David go to the city of Gath? Why would he go to the hometown of the Philistine giant that he himself slayed? Why, why would he do that? Did he think about what he was doing? Did he even pray about it? If I'm honest, um, 
I do the same thing. I get into a problem, and then I rush off to somehow fix it. And the way I fix it tends to be based on my own logic or understanding, my own insight, my own best experience. And that's shaded by fear most of the time. So that's why the second step to building trust in God is this. Ask the Lord for guidance before you act, before you date that person, before you make that purchase, before you quit that job, before you file that lawsuit, before you blow off that friend, before you start the home improvement project, before you sign your kids up for another activity, before you choose the doctor or the course of treatment, before you speak those heated words, ask the Lord for guidance. God is trustworthy. But if we never ask him what to do, how do we know if we're headed down the right path? Proverbs 3, 5 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. If Saul was chasing me, I'd like to say that I would have stopped and I would have asked the Lord for guidance. That I would have waited for God to direct me. But too many times in the heat of the moment, I just go with my gut. And I walk myself into a situation. And then I look around and see what a mess I'm in. And then I pray and I ask God to rescue me from it. God, rescue me from this credit card debt for the things that I bought that I didn't even need. God, rescue me from this relationship that I shouldn't even be in. God, save me from this path that I'm on. Now, God is a good God. And so even though we got ourselves in the mess by our own doing many times, he will come through for us and show us a way out of the situation. I would like to tell a story, but I'm afraid that my mom is watching online at home. So mom, if you could just mute the TV, it's the red button, just push that one. I'll let you know when to turn it back on and all of you are sworn to secrecy. So I was 16 years old and my parents allowed me and a friend from my church to go to Tijuana, Mexico to serve as missionaries for this summer. And it was a life-changing experience. We were working with these poor orphan kids, it was awesome. But after we'd been there a few weeks, the leader of the orphanage said that we could have the day off. And we didn't know that was a thing. And so we were excited and we had no clue what to do. So we thought, what would be fun? We're in uh, like this little town outside of Tijuana. Let's go to the ocean. So we asked around some other people that um, grew up in the area and that knew what to do. We said, how would we get from the orphanage to the beaches and which beach should we ask to go to? So they say, go to La Playa de Rosarita. And we say, okay. So they told us how to catch a taxi. And so my friend, 16-year-old blonde girl like myself with blue eyes, we walk through the village and we go to the highway. And we wait there to catch a taxi. And a taxi pulls over and we get in. And we've seen this on the movies. We've never done this in real life. Um, but we've seen movies in New York. You get in the taxi and you are the only people in the taxi. And they take you where you want to go. But that was not what happened. We drove down the road and more people got into the taxi. It was a grandma and her three grandchildren and it was crowded and we were like squished in there but this was fine and then we stopped and we let them off and more people got in and more people got off and we were kind of making our way but we're thinking we're going to the 
the playa, the beach. And so after a while, my friend, Neva, who's sitting next to me, begins to squeeze my knee as hard as possible. And I come up out of the fog of 16-year-oldness, and I look around, and I realize that we are in a packed taxi with eight grown men, none of whom we knew, and we were nowhere near the beach. We were, I don't know, somewhere in a very poor neighborhood of Tijuana. And I'll be honest, that was the first moment I prayed that day and said, Lord, what should we do with this day? We were already in the midst of creating our own crisis before we stopped and asked God what we should do. Well, I don't know how, but we got out of that situation just fine and made it to the beach and had a delightful day. And I'm sorry, Mom, unmute, you're good. If we want to build trust with God, we can't just start our day and run off on our own understanding and do what it is that we want to do. We have to press into God. We have to read his word. We have to follow his directions. We have to submit to his leadership so that the path that we're on can be made straight. Verse 11, it says, but the officers of Achish were unhappy about his being here. Isn't this David the king of the land, they asked. Isn't he the one that people honor with the dances and the singing? Saul has killed his thousands. David his tens of thousands. So David heard these comments and he was very afraid of what King Achish of Gath might do to him. Now Bible scholars think that the officers of the king actually arrested and detained David. Chapter 21 of 1 Samuel doesn't say that, but the reason they think that is because in Psalm 56, there is the psalm, and then there's this little tiny header that's actually in tiny print that is the directions to the choir director. It says this, and it gives a little information. It says, for the choir director, a psalm of David, regarding the time the Philistines seized him in Gath. This is the only time that we know of in all of scripture that David went to Gath. And then in Psalm 56, it says he was seized there. So we put two and two together. And Bible scholars believe that David was seized by these officers. And we're going to read Psalm 56 in a few minutes. But before we do, what's clear is David has been seized. And he's waiting in some kind of detainment for the king to come, his enemy king. Now, we don't know. They couldn't just shoot him a text and be like, yo, we got David. Come get over here and let's decide what to do. They might, he might have been across town. He might have been in another town. He might have been in another country fighting a war as kings often did in those days. We don't know how long it was, but David was there detained by the officers. And the officers know who David is. They know that he is a mighty man of God. They know that he's killed his, they know his hype song, that Saul has killed his thousands and David is tens of thousands. They know that David is the next king of Israel. They said all of that. They know all of that and they're afraid. And that's why they're detaining David. But David forgot who David was. David forgot he's a mighty man of God, that he's the next king of Israel, that he's killed his tens of thousands. He forgot about himself, and so he's hiding, and he's afraid in detainment, and he's lost track of himself. And the third key to learning to trust in God is this. Refuse to allow fear to paralyze your faith. Refuse to allow fear to paralyze your faith. Fear can hit us like a wave and knock us under. 
A few weeks ago, we got to take our boys to the ocean for the very first time. And they had little boogie boards, and they were going crazy throughout the day. And before we got there, we tried to explain the waves and the ocean and how they were big and powerful, and they could knock you over, and they could suck you under if you weren't careful. Um, They listened to us, but they didn't hear us, really. And so after a while of boogie boarding and having a great time, our youngest son He ran out like he had a hundred times, but the wave was just bigger. And it knocked him down on his butt, pulled him under. He couldn't get his footing. He couldn't catch his breath. He comes up like, not even a minute, but a little bit later. It felt like an hour to him. He's coughing and he's freaking out. And he's, this pulled me under and I couldn't get my footing. And this is exactly what can happen in our faith as well. Fear can knock us down. It tries to pull us under, and once we get knocked down and pulled under, we might not be able to find our feeding, our footing again, and we might lose our breath. And this is the situation that David found himself in. He's surrounded by enemies, surrounded by people who literally want to take his life. Being afraid is normal and appropriate in this situation, but David has a choice. Does he let that fear knock him down? And pr- or does he press forward in faith and trust? Because faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is trusting God even when we feel fear. Faith is moving forward even when we feel fear holding us back. So we have to ask ourselves, what areas in my life has fear paralyzed me the most and paralyzed me in place? Am I afraid Like sick of staying in the same spot, but afraid to make a move. Afraid to apply for the new job. Afraid to open my heart again. Afraid to step out and and risk that crucial conversation. Afraid to expand the business to the next level. Afraid to fight for sobriety or for health because you just don't want to fail again. And fear always tries to be that excuse for staying stuck. But why aren't we ever afraid of what happens if we never try? Like what happens if we, if we stay afraid forever and we never even make that move? Why doesn't that bother us? If we just stay in the same dead-end job forever. Why aren't we afraid of what happens if we never reopen our heart and we're always isolated and alone? Or what happens if we don't ever have that important conversation to move the relationship forward? Or we never decide to take that leap of faith to get our business to the next level, or we just always stay unhealthy and addicted because we never move past our fear. Why? Fear's tricky because most of the time we are afraid to try. We're afraid to move. But what we don't realize is it's more dangerous to never try than than to fail while trying. There's some research that's been published by published in the American Psychological Association, and this research shows that at the end of people's life, what is their single most big regret? What do they regret the most of everything that's happened in their life? And overwhelmingly, this research shows that people regret things they never did. They don't regret trying and failing. They don't regret trying and it not going perfectly how they envisioned. They regret never even trying. They regret the things they never did. And 
So David's in this plan, and he's hiding in Philistine territory, and it's not working out the best. And he's instantly discovered by his enemies. He's detained. And he's waiting for the king of Gath to come to sentence him to death. And he's afraid while he's detained. He does something. He cries out to God. And so now we're going to read Psalm 56, which we learned earlier he wrote during this time of detainment. And here's what it says. David is speaking. He says, Oh God, have mercy on me, for people are hounding me and my foes attack me all day long. I am constantly hounded by those who slander me, and, my, and many are boldly attacking me. But when I am afraid, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? Verse 12, I will fulfill my vows to you, O God, and I will offer a sacrifice of thanks for your help. So David's in a spot where he's probably going to die, but he promises, when I get out of this, I will offer a, a sacrifice of thanksgiving. He's so confident now because he's placed his trust in God. He turned to God during that detainment, and he put his trust in God, and that's what empowered him to overcome his fear. He recognized that God had a plan for him in the middle of this situation that he's just in preparation for what's coming next, for the plans that God has for him. And what are those plans? What are the plans that God has for us even when we feel like we're detained in a prison or at the end of our rope? I'm going to read a very familiar passage of scripture. And as I do, you might be tempted to go, oh, I know that one. But hang in there with me and listen to this in a fresh way this morning. Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. So who knows the plans? The Lord. A lot of times I think I know the plan that he has for me. I think I know what's coming. I know what's right. I know what God wants to do. But this verse says that God knows the plans. He has for us. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you future and a hope. So God is the one who knows the plan. Even when I don't know, God knows the plan. And what do we know? We know Romans 8, 28. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So God knows the plan. I think I know the plan, but I do not know the plan. God says, I know the plan I have for you. But what do we know? We know that whatever the plan is, he's going to work it out for the good of those who love and trust God. So God knows the plan. We know he's going to work it out. But we do not know the plan. And so when we're going through difficult circumstances and situations... We have to recognize that everything that's happening around us is under the control of a loving God who rules the universe with his feet up. He is seated on the throne. He is not even standing based on the stress that we're experiencing because he knows the plans that he has for us. And he knows that it will all work together for the good of those who love and He knows that. And so everything we're going through is preparation for the plan that he's working. And so King David finds himself detained. And why is God using that detainment to prepare him? 
I think it's because he doesn't want another king like Saul. Saul is so jealous and selfish, he's literally hunting down the next king of Israel with the armies of Israel, like he's so twisted inside. And I think God knows that if he's going to, his second king is going to be anything like a man after God's own heart, that there's going to have to be a preparation process that takes place. And so that's what's happening as David is detained in this prison. David has this revelation that comes from God that says, I cannot put my trust in myself in my strength, in my abilities, in my intellect, in my scheming, in my manipulation, in my control. I must place my trust in God. And so God is working that in David while David is detained. And I think that because there is this shift in David's perspective while he's detained, that God gives him an idea, a crazy God idea. Verse 13, so he pretended, this is David, to be insane, scratching on doors and drooling down his beard. Now, I've been a youth pastor for a long time. And if this was youth, this next few minutes would look very different. But as adults, you are very capable of imagining this scene for yourselves. Fourth truth, to move forward, we have to move forward and trust God to have our back when he gives us a God idea. Where does trust grow most in our relationship with him? It grows during the detainments, during the hard times. Just like in a marriage, where do you learn to trust your spouse? It's when you go through a storm together. And you learn to trust in God through difficult times, during the detainment, during the preparation and then you step forward in faith. So God gives David this insane, ridiculous idea. And I thought to myself, that's where I've grown the most in my faith too, is when the ideas are crazy. And so I sat on my couch earlier this week and I just shot out a text to like 10, 15 people in my contacts list. And I simply asked this question, did you ever have a God idea where God just gave you an idea and it sounded a little bit crazy, but you did it by faith and you saw God miraculously move and you built your trust with him. I was like, give it to me in like a minute, couple minutes or less. And very few people follow directions. Um, so I had, to, I had to thin down their text. But here's what they said. This is what they said to me. Each person, number one person, I quit my profession in sales in my 30s and went back to college to become a teacher. Best decision I ever made. Next person, I broke off my engagement to a great guy. I walked away from great to find the best, and I later married the man of my dreams. Next person, I moved to a city, a new city, as a young adult after my parents broke up and rebuilt my life with Christ. I learned to trust him like I never imagined was possible. Next person, I left an abusive husband when I had no idea how to survive, and God took care of me and my son every step of the way. We felt led to become foster parents. We've taken in children and loved them regardless of how long they were to stay. We are blessed to keep some forever and others we had to trust back to God. We grew in our faith more than anything else we've ever done. Next person, I quit my job with a steady paycheck and started my own business in a season where my husband had been laid off and was back in school. God taught us that he will always provide for our family. 
Next person, 30 years ago, I was hiding under a blanket on the floor with my two babies, praying for God to spare our lives. God told me to trust him, and he got us out of that situation and has been trustworthy every day of our lives since. I moved back home after a year in out-of-state college. I knew God had a plan for me here, even though it made no sense to return to Grand Junction. In the last three years, God has built my identity in him, led me to the love of my life, we're getting married in September, and called me into ministry. Next person, I was in a career that I loved teaching kids for over 20 years, but I heard God calling me to apply for another position where instead I would be teaching teachers. I was afraid of failure, but I knew it was God who spoke, so I took the leap, and it has been a great change, and I know that I am having even more of an impact. The best seasons of growth for the believer come when we learn to trust God with the outcome. When we act based on his leading and our obedience and we see him through. Now I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not telling you go quit your job or break up or marry this person or that. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you who to trust. Who we trust is God. And when God speaks to us, we move in obedience. David takes this leap of faith and he puts his trust in God. In verse 14 it says, Finally, King Achish said to his men, Why must you bring me this madman? We already have enough of them around here. Why should I let someone like this be my guest? Next verse, so David left Gath. I picture these officers who had arrested David. And they are just become like bouncers at a concert. They push him out of the city. He probably is still acting insane. He falls on the ground. He's got dirt all over him. He's got spit in his beard. But he gets up. He brushes himself off and he walks out of Gath. He walks out of the very situation that should have taken his life. And then the Bible tells us he wrote another psalm as he went. Psalm 34 was written in this exact moment. Psalm 34, it says, A psalm of David when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech or Achish who drove him away and he left. So he's walking away from Gath and he's worshiping his God with this. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all of my fears. David seeking the Lord was not glorious and beautiful. He had spit in his beard and dirt on his robe tears running down his face. When he sought the Lord, when he was in his place of detainment, it was messy, but he sought him. And so I don't know how many of you this morning feel like you're in a season of detainment, but if you are, God has sent me here this morning to speak a word to you. Would everyone in the room stand to their feet? Verse four, it says, I sought the Lord and he heard me. And when we were singing that worship song that was the special, that's the lyrics of this song. And so I want us to sing this together. I sought the Lord and he heard me. And I sought the Lord 
and he heard and he answered i sought the lord and he heard and he answered i sought the lord and he heard and he answered that's why i trust him that's why i trust him i sought the lord and he heard and he answered i sought the lord and he heard and he answered i sought the lord and he heard and he answered that's why i trust him come on lift your voice and sing that while we're detained that it's all a season of preparation that he knows the plans that he has for us and we know that all things will work together for good he knows the plan we know him and that's why we trust him that's why we seek him even with dirt on our robe and spit in our beard in detainment we trust him and we seek him and he proves to us that he's there with us. God, I pray for each one, these brothers and sisters of mine this morning that feel like they are in detainment. God, would you show them that you're the fourth man in the fire with them, that you are right there. God, speak to them, encourage their hearts, strengthen them, prepare them for the thing that you have for them next, God. And as we seek you, even when it's messy, even when there's spit and dirt, that we would find you opening the door and setting us free to the next season of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior and to guide my life, to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, we would love to celebrate with you. Please text HEAVEN to 94000 to get in contact with our staff where we can answer any questions you may have. Also, if you're in need of prayer, we would love to support you. You can submit your prayer requests by texting PRAYER SUPPORT to 94000. Our prayer team will receive your request and immediately start covering you. If this was your first time experiencing Fellowship Church, or if you want to learn more about one of our many ministries, you can text FELLOWSHIP to 94000 to connect with our staff. As always, we are still just a phone call away. 
You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY with any questions. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next week in person or online.